Praise the Lord, we have been, well, I have kind of been going through the book of Mark along with you guys, and we went through uh, some of the previous chapters before eight. I think we started somewhere around chapter six or what have you. And today we're going to be at chapter eight, and we're going to look at something that Jesus did. And many of you probably have your Bibles open. You're probably looking at chapter eight, and your subtitles probably said how many people he fed. And I'll have the scriptures on the wall for you, kind of make it a little easier as we go. Check the time, and let's see. Um, so in the book of Mark, which I love the book of Mark because it's just fast-paced, and you, know, we get, you just get a good glimpse of the Lord's heart and his, his, uh, his, servant, his servanthood. And as we went in the past, we looked at a lot of things that Jesus was doing before we even got to chapter 6, 7, uh, and then 8, of course, where we are today. Uh, where he did many things, healing a demon-possessed guy. We look back in from, from chapter 1, actually, and you'll find he, he healed a demon-possessed man, cleansed a leper, he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, uh, he helped a man who had a withered hand. And during this time, these crowds are gathering to see and hear and listen to Jesus. And Jesus is moving among the people in, in miraculous ways. And he even calms a storm. In chapter 3, a demon-possessed guy, he delivers Jairus' daughter. He raises. Um, there's a woman with a blood issue. And then we, get, we got to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we saw, or we taught, or we looked at in more uh, detail, the power of his presence as the people were surrounding him and what he was doing. And we looked at his power just being in his presence. And there's a beauty there. And we looked at that. We went on and looked at chapter 7, uh, avoiding the traditions of men, the danger that can take place even in the Christian life of where we become legalistic, or we become uh, looking at the wrong things instead of the heart. And of course, we went on and we looked at uh, the, the power of a faithful intercessor. Remember the woman who had a daughter who was being tormented by a demon and how the Lord moved in that. And and then, of course, we see when he healed a guy who couldn't speak. And that was really, uh, well, some could say graphic. It was intimate and in how he changed. And we looked at it that the Lord's ways are different than our ways. When you look exactly how he healed this guy, you'd be, whoa, that is odd. But the Lord is intimate when he interacts with us. And then, of course, we are at, at um, chapter 8. And when we looked at what was it? When he went to go and speak to, or when he went into a house with the woman, the Canaanite woman, the woman who had the daughter who was demon possessed, Jesus had purposely, just before that, left Jewish territory. Remember that. So he left purposely Jewish territory and went into a predominantly a Gentile area, a territory. And it allowed Jesus to have some training with the disciples for them to see him move even in greater ways. It was more, uh, it was away from all the crowds and he had this time with them. And so they could see how he loved, how he served. And here we are in Mark 8, verse 1. And let's just read a couple of verses to get started. In Mark chapter 8, verse 1, it says, In those days, when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So we'll stop right there. And I want to look back at, at that, uh, that verse 1 because we see something taking place. And I want to open up what took place here in chapter 8. Would you stop and you slow down and you look verse by verse, almost word by word, what's going on here? We should, we will, have a greater appreciation and a love for Christ. Because you're going to see his love. You're going to see his uh, desire for you. So in, in verse 1, in those days when there was a great crowd had gathered. Now imagine in those days how that may have looked. Here's Jesus. Everyone's hearing about the healings he's doing, the miracles and they're gathering, and there's a great crowd, and they're, they're just uh, uh, wanting to hear from him. Some wanted to test him in some areas, and some people wanted to know, is this who he says he is? And today, today, even today, we are part of those large crowds. We are part of the great multitude. 
that gather to hear about Christ or to hear his words or to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us like we are here today. There's many people gathering around the world today. It's Sunday. There's great crowds taking place and they're hearing the words of the Lord. And they can experience his compassion when they surrender, when they understand, when they're really seeking. So Jesus here is in a predominantly Gentile region. And so he has a gathering. And like today, a gathering can consist of many types of people from many walks of life. It could be the rich, the poor, the single, the married, the old, the young, the rebellious, uh, the, the parents, all these different types of people that are being spoken to today were being spoken to then. Nothing has changed. The Lord still speaks, and these gatherings still take place. So back then, as you can try and imagine, Jesus himself with a great crowd. But, so that was really cool then, but it's also cool now. This right here is incredible. Because we have here a room full of hearts and souls, and some of you might be hurting more than the others. Some of you may be rejoicing more than others. But every person here with a relationship with the Lord, and if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, he's trying to have one with you. And so that's why it's even cool today, even more so in, in, in many ways. Because he speaks to us, he moves uh, by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to draw you to the Lord. There's excitement. There's anticipation in this room, perhaps. There's doubts. Maybe someone's been forced to be here. Maybe someone wasn't very excited or very tired, but then they turn and said, I'm going to be there because I want to hear about my Lord. So there are great crowds still taking place. And today, this is wonderful because we have people who want to know the Lord even greater ways. It's a room full of uh, a place of volunteers. Uh, earlier, we had an offering. We, had, we lifted up offerings to the Lord in worship. The Lord is moving. And that's why this is cool as well. So let's look at this um, verse 2. Verse 2 says, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd, and they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. That right there is the, the, the springboard to everything that takes place. Because Jesus has compassion. Now that word compassion is splunk nizomai. Splunk nizomai. We see it a lot in the scriptures. But here Jesus is saying, I have splunk nizomai. It means to be moved deep within. To be moved with compassion. So deep that the, the word describes to be moved to one's bowels. So in other words, that deep in the soul, that deep in the heart, in the mind of Christ. Jesus has compassion down to the bowels, if you will. It's deep. It's not like, oh, I feel bad for these people. It's, I feel compassion for these people. So the, the bowels, when you think of this word, you say, wow, that's pretty graphic. But it, it was thought to be the seat of the emotions, the seat of love and pity. Uh, deep down inside. And so the Gospels mention Jesus had compassion and he did this. Jesus had compassion and he did this. But here is the first person. It's saying here, Jesus' words, it's saying, I have compassion. Now, if I was writing a, a Gospel, I would say, and he had compassion. But here he said it. I didn't observe him operate in compassion. I heard him say, I have compassion on the crowd. And the crowd consists, consists of all types of situations, all types of people. And so here in the first person, when, when, there's other places where Jesus, the word compassion, you'll find this word, splunk needs of mine. And if you're taking notes, I'll have those verses on the, on the board, beginning with Matthew 14, 14. And I'll just whip through, the, <clears throat> whip through these so you can have uh, for your notes. 
But here we see Jesus with compassion, operating out of compassion. Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. He had compassion, so he healed. And here he was in, in Matthew 20, 34. He was moved with compassion, or moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched this leopard and, and, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Uh, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. In Luke 7, and uh, Jimmy mentioned uh, the widow uh, in Nain uh, last Wednesday, and he spoke about the Lord's compassion. And it says this, Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the, son, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep, and raises this son. So when we see this, this compassion, this splunk needs of my, we see miracles taking place. We see Jesus operating from love, from care, a desire to help, to assist, to heal. And so this compassion coming from so deep down is, is, is important for us to grasp, to understand this passage that we're looking at where Jesus feeds 4,000 people. This is a large crowd, consists of more than 4,000. But it says here that, uh, think about this, having compassion. We personally, myself, I have compassion for people. Because I see people hurt, I see people sad. And in, in my life experiences, things that I've seen, uh, different uh, situations in people's lives, when I see people going through those kinds of situations, I have greater compassion because I can understand, I can relate. Now, even greater passion, if you will, when it's someone dear to you, who you love, your child, your best buddy, your, your spouse. This compassion is because you're intimate, you know them. You know, in Philippians 1.8, Paul wrote this. He says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection. Splunk needs oh my. Now, for those of you who want to take this note, you want to mark this in your Bibles, but this verse, Philippians 1.8, many scholars uh, believe, and, and I, I line up with them, uh, not as a scholar, but I agree with them. For God is my witness, that for how long? For I long to be with you all. This here is evidence that Paul was from Texas. <laughs> how, long, how I long for you all. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, no, he's not from Texas, so don't write that in your Bibles. Steve said. But see, Paul was able to say that because he longed for them with the affection of Christ, with the splonknizomai of Christ. And many of us experience that compassion, Christ's compassion for people, where it just breaks your heart, and you feel it down in your gut. Have you ever been heartbroken, and deep down inside it just hurts? You physically feel ill? It's like a, a gut punch when you have a broken heart, or when you're sad because something happened to someone that is, you just you're devastated by, or they're devastated by, and likewise you are. But this compassion is key for us to understand Christ's heart. This compassion for this crowd, this crowd consists of many walks of life. <coughs> he says, they have, for they have been with me. So if we grasp the depths of his love, we need to grasp it today to understand that how great his love is for you. There are people that are hurting that have shameful pasts. They have faults that they're working on or they feel as though they can't fix. And, or maybe they have a little faith and they, they think about Christ and they say, well, I don't know if he has that much compassion for me or if he loves me. I don't know if I could even come to Christ and, and have a relationship with him. 
because of the things I've done in my life. And that's, that's hurtful when you, when you see people in this situation who are sincerely wounded to the point where they don't think he loves them. And in Romans chapter 5, in fact, I think it was John that shared this verse, or someone today. But in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, what does it say there? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And in, in before that, in verse 6, which uh, John uh, um, alluded to, uh, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. I mean, he's a pretty good guy. I'd die for him. But what about that guy? That guy that you, that you just can't understand the sin that they're involved in. Can you die for that person? Well, Christ did. And that is the power behind his, this passage, is his love, his compassion. But God showed his great love. How great is that love? Look at 1 John 3.1. It says this. <clears throat> it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. How great a love. That word great is potapas. Potapas, and it means, like, what sort of quality? What kind of love is this? It comes from two words that it's rooted in, pot, which is when, and poo, poo, and P-O-O, somewhere, meaning where, some when, where. It, and the, the, when you look at this, how great a love, like, where does this love come from? And it means it's, it's not from here. What kind of quality is this? It's from out of this world. It's something we can't understand and grasp completely. It is that great. And that great love for those who struggle with thinking that God can love you, he does this much. And for those struggling to come to Christ because of their past, he loves you this much. It's not the kind of love we know. Well, I could love him because he's so nice to me, or he's a good guy, or I feel bad for him. It's genuine love for someone because the Lord knows without a relationship with him, he knows our end. And that should fuel our love for the world when we know their end. And that's where we get this, this having the same affection that Christ has for people. His precious thoughts. A little more about his love and his precious thoughts. Why? Because it's crucial in understanding this passage of how great his love is. You know, some people, um, well, naturally we love, we know how to love, and then when we get saved, we really understand love. And then we have to learn to love as Christ loves and, and then we, we see how he loves us, and we love our family, our friends, the world. And then there's a point where sometimes it's hard to receive love because you maybe were never loved this way. It's hard to fathom. And we have to learn how to receive his love and get over the fact of our past, of our reputation, the things we used to do, and receive this great love. Psalm 119, verse 17 says this. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Precious, that word, yakar, means to esteem, to prize, to, to, be, to be valuable. Precious, costly. How valuable, how precious, how prized are your thoughts about me. Look at Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17, you guys are familiar with this verse. <coughs> uh, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in the midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So this is, uh, to understand God's love, look at this passage. 
The Lord your God is in the midst, a mighty one, the mighty one who saves. It means a victorious warrior is what we're looking at here. A victorious warrior who saves will rejoice over you. He displays joy over us. And it says that he calms us with his love. Your life could be chaotic. And our lives were chaotic without Christ. But when we understood his love, when we received his love, when we surrendered to him, there, be, there came a calm, a calming of our soul. Now, this loud singing, loud singing, renah, means joy and praise. This loud singing uh, over us. Now, this word ranan means to shout, to cry out. And I like to somehow get people to remember a, a word, uh, like, like this Hebrew word, like, you know, rana. It means to shout, to cry out. He, he, it's like a parent when you sing to your child. You know, you sing to them, you, 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 they're little kids and you play with them, and there's just this parent singing to a child beauty there. And so that word uh, rana is sort of like, sounds like um, uh, rana. And if for, for maybe some of you Hispanics, it may want to sing this with me a little, but sana, sana, colita de rana, right? Tana. Rana, loud singing, joy. And so maybe that word will stick in your mind that that's what he has for us. It's like when you sing these little songs to your children. He sings over us with joy and he expresses it. His love is a jealous love. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, look what it says here. For I am jealous. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that Christ might present you as a pure virgin. Jealous, zeloo. Zeloo means to desire earnestly to pursue. The Lord pursues us. He, his love is jealous for us. He, he's jealous for you because the enemy wants you. And he's jealous to have you because if the enemy gets you, you're done. You're hellbound. And he's jealous for you. He wants to have you and give you eternal life. Galatians 4.17, here's that word. Those people are, and speaking of the, uh, well, in, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 17. Um, for the, uh, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. That's the enemy. The enemy is also zealous for you to get us to, to um, become legalistic, to, become, uh, 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 to be drawn away from the Lord. So there's a battle going on for your soul. Verse 2, we need to adopt that compassion. This weekend, we're going to go out and share the gospel, maybe have opportunities to talk with people. People might be in, will be invited. They might be here next Sunday. It is our opportunity to adopt Christ's passion and live it out next Sunday here or this weekend. I have compassion. Those people, they had nothing to eat for three days. They had a three-day seminar going on with Jesus. That's a, a pretty cool option, right? To be, have a three-day seminar with the Lord. But he knew that their food was depleted. They either brought food and finished it, or they just didn't have any because they were there for three days. But we need to adopt this heart set. We need to understand that everyone, all of us, need to be about prayer. How can I serve? How can I operate in compassion, the affection of Christ towards people? You see, we need to have this because when people come here, sometimes their food has been depleted and they're hungry and they may not have Christ. And, and we have to recognize that as more than just, hey, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. And, and, and then, well, I met someone. But where are they? We, we don't know. Oftentimes you may not find out. But there may be things that they're going through in their lives. It says that there have been three days and if I send them away, they'll have nothing to eat. When we have visitors here, even people that have come here, have been coming here for years, after service, we kind of, quote, send you away back into whatever it is that you're dealing with in life. And so here is where ministry needs to take place. 
where we love one another, where we encourage and build each other up because they go back and they may become hungry. So verse 3. Verse 3, look at the Lord's heart, and it says here, And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. You see, the Lord knows our situation. He knows when we're running low. And he knows when we've come from afar away. Spiritually speaking, he knows when you may have come from a life that has been, uh, you've been abused, or unloved, ridiculed, mocked, bullied, whatever it is, from a broken family. He knows the journey you've had. He knows the long way you have come to maybe even just to hear his words. It says faint, that they will become faint, ekluo. And that Greek word ekluo, it means to loose or unloosen, to set free. They may be here for three days. They may buy into it, go back into the world, and just let go of everything they've heard. That's the risk that takes place every Sunday in this place. Pastor Joe's preaching. He's preaching from his, the heart, and he want, doesn't want to see anybody return to the world. He doesn't want to see anybody leave without Christ. That's the pastor's, the minister's heart. And after the service is over, everyone is sent away. And that's where the prayer ministry kicks in, to pray for the fellowship. But that they would become faint, that word uh, refers to a, a loosened bowstring. A loosened bowstring. In, in, in other words, not ready for battle. Shame on us if we, the word is preached and you're not ready for battle when you go out into the world. A loose bowstring. I mean, can you imagine? I don't ever shoot a bow, but if it's loose, I guess it's not going to work as well, right? It's not going to go as far. You know, um, this may seem odd, but, well, like, for example, a gun. A I had a dream the other day, and maybe because of this, um, and I've had dreams in the past. You ever have a dream where you're, you have to use a weapon, self-defense, and it doesn't work? It's the worst thing in your life, in your dream, and you, 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 you extend, and you fire, and the bullet kind of rolls out like a marble, and you're like, no, and you're, you're trying to throw the bullets, I've had these horrible dreams, and it's just wild. But the one I had the other day was my slide, it wouldn't rack. It wouldn't slide back, and I knew there was something wrong with the spring, and it wasn't you know, working or it wasn't even in there. But it reminded me of a loose bowstring, not ready for battle. So, hope, anybody else ever have those dreams? One, one person. I saw a hand. Whew. Okay, I am not... All right, so, but that they will faint on the way. The Lord is concerned about us the minute we leave here. Not just that we're here and you're being ministered to, but when you're out there and that you're ready for battle. Galatians 6, 9, which I believe was on the bulletin. Uh, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That word, grow weary, is the same word, faint. To grow weary or to let loose, to let go, to become weary. Rather, this should describe us. And I believe this was the verse used at the youth retreat that uh, Tommy and, and Chad uh, went out to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That we are equipped here, that the Holy Spirit fills us, and that we become equipped so that we're ready for battle out there. And you know often, well, the, the battle isn't always out there. It's in here. That battle that you're dealing with, the thing you don't want to give up, the thing that you still want to hold on to, that we need to separate from to have this kind of victory, to be steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord. So some people come from a long distance, spiritually speaking, a long life, a long situation, uh, hardships. So let's adopt this mentality, this, the heart set of Christ, the compassion of Christ. You know, when you, someone gets saved, and what's, usually you, you'll say, hey, read the book of John. They usually hand them a book of the gospel of John, which is great. It's beautiful. But in addition to that, I'll say in addition, but primarily myself, I like to give them Luke 
8, the parable of the sower. Because they've heard the word, and now it depends what you're going to do with it. That's my concern. Someone can come up here and say, I want to follow the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And we'll pray and we'll receive the Lord. You receive the Lord. You're surrendered to Christ. Now let's get you going. Read Luke 8, because you're going to be one of these. You're either going to get choked out by the things of life, or the enemy's going to come and take it away, or, or something, or you're going to reap and a harvest. And so thinking that mindset this coming weekend is having the heart set that there's a lot of people that have come a long way and that you might go and talk to and they've been living a long life of struggle. And we want to reach out to them. Mark, chapter 8, verse 4. Verse 4 says, And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So the disciple, now this is interesting because this is not the first time Jesus feeds thousands. He already fed 5,000 and here he's going to feed 4,000. We have something taking place again. So it's interesting, what's going on? Disciples, come on, man. And the disciples answered him, how can one feed them with the people with his bread out here in this desolate place, which is another word for wilderness, out in this wilderness, because time of the season here, uh, they're there's the other time there was a green grass that they sat on. Here there's no mention of grass. It's referred to as a desolate place. And so uh, we, we take it that the time of the season here is there probably wasn't anything to eat and a lot of comforts were gone. So, um, so it's not the first time. So what is happening here with the, with the disciples? How can one do this? It's a desolate place, Lord. But they just did this. They did it recently, 5,000. So is it a little faith issue? Is it them having a little faith? You know, I mean, let's be honest. We've been there. The Lord moves in our lives, and then something comes again. Like, how are we going to get through this? Or did you forget how the Lord delivered you from this? How you are saved, and you're a believer now, and the things you were involved in? He can do this. And so is it they have some kind of spiritual amnesia that we can all sometimes have? Let's be honest. But I don't know. Here's what I think, and I don't know if it's necessarily tongue-in-cheek, but I believe the disciples knew what was going on. I believe that they see what's going on, and they have some spiritual confidence in Christ. In verse 4, uh, that verse in, in the different translation, in NASB, the 95 version, it says, it says it this way, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Hmm. How did they look at Christ? Did they say, hey, uh, so how are we going to do this in this desolate place? It's sort of like, I know what you can do. How are we going to do this? How can one feed? Where will anyone... <clears throat> Jesus, be able to find enough bread, bread of life, <laughs> in this desolate place to satisfy these people. So were they like, hmm, were they, I think they were. I think they understood. I think there's confidence there. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of faith. I think it's a, uh, maybe it was more like this. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, how are we going to do this? In other words, are we going to do this again? Is this going to happen again? Or maybe it was that bad. It was like, okay, how are we going to do it? This conditions have worsened. And Jesus, in, in verse 5, it says, And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. Eh, a lot could be said about that verse. How many loaves do you have? I don't know. How are you guys going to do this? Or is he pointing out that, yeah, what, what do you guys have? And now you understand what little you have? Now watch this. There's an understanding we need to get when we're following the Lord. Who he is and who we are. Who he is and who we aren't. He's in control. And with what little we have, he can do great. And when we have that humble heart set, that we, it allows the Lord to move. It gets us out of the way. To let the Lord move. So in verse 5, how many loaves do you have? And he said, seven. It's almost like an examine yourself moment. How am I going to get through this trial? How am I going to get through these things in life? 
I have to recognize that it's not me that's going to fix this. It's me getting out of the way and allowing the Lord to fix this. Allow the Lord to minister. So that, there's just some passion, powerful stuff right there in, in, in what's going on. And the disciples thinking, Lord, how, who is going to do this? Verse 6 and 7 says this. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be uh, set before them. The Lord will provide. The Lord provides, and he will assist he can change circumstances to the point of miracles. You might be in a position in your life where you're thinking, I need a miracle. Because nothing can change maybe what you're going through or what someone is going through. And it's got to be the Lord. And when we have our hearts understanding, living in this humility, understanding that he can move even to the point of miracle, uh, miracles, uh, our faith grows. Our trust in the Lord grows. It says here that um, it says, and he gave them to the, to the disciples. He directed them to sit down. And so get this. Here's Jesus is using the disciples to serve the people. And so when I said, like, hey, it's cool today what's happening here, this great crowd. The Lord is using many of us here to serve the people. You were handed a... Uh, um, a bulletin at the door. You were greeted at the door. You, you, they assisted you to find a seat. Uh, if you have a question, you stop by the Welcome Center. And the Lord calls us to ministry. And he needs us to serve one another. And so here he's using the disciples and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So Jesus gives, and, it, and this word is, is continuous in the Greek, that he continued to give the disciples. And the disciples, in turn, continued to set before the people. So Jesus provided, and the disciples served. There was a continual ministry going on. And our ministries need to be provided. Everything we do in ministry needs to be provided by the Holy Spirit, by God. Otherwise, it's just Steve. And, and, and that's, that's nothing. But when it, the Lord provides that compassion, the love, the desire to encourage someone to meet that new person. When the Lord's behind it, now we're having ministry. Now church is going on. And so he continues to give them, and they keep distributing. So um, what about the crowd? What were they thinking? Did they hear about the 5,000? Maybe they didn't. They three-day seminar, we're out of food. I bet I'm going to go get some food. This is, I'm not going to be here for three days. Maybe their faith was growing. Maybe they knew what Jesus can do. Maybe they knew a meal was coming. Maybe. I don't know. But they got one. And so things can be bleak. Your life, things could be, uh, you could seem like you're against all the odds. Odds are all against you. And nothing is going to change. But the Lord will provide. He equips us to serve, and he also equips for our needs, whatever it is that we need, lacking food, lacking faith. So when things are, when things are out bad, trust the Lord, knowing that he can provide, and even to the point of miracles. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, uh, 31? He said, not to worry, Right? Not to worry what we shall eat, drink, or what we shall wear. Or your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Lord knows what we need. We bring our needs to him. He knows exactly what we need. We might say, I need a one, two, and three, or A, B, and C, and he gives you B. Well, he knows that's what you need. It would be great to have A and C, but B will do just fine. Trusting the Lord. You know, it's possible that as this took place, that the disciples just sat back in confidence and watched their Lord work again. I want to live that way. I want to be able to 
not worry. I want to be able to trust the Lord and have those moments where I sit back and I just watch the Lord moving among his people. And if you pay close attention here every Sunday, you'll see it. The Lord's moving among his people. Verses 8 and 9. It says this, And they ate and were satisfied. You should underline that word. Circle it, highlight it. And they were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over. Seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. About 4,000 men. He's not counting all the children and, and ladies. But we have about 4,000 people, and there he goes. He sent them away. A lot of times my prayer, just for announcements, is that, Lord, remove the distractions so that the Lord can move in our hearts. So that we can, under, we can be filled by the Spirit so that this could take place. So that when we send you away, you're equipped. That the Lord has filled you. That the Lord has equipped you, strengthened you, given you the boldness or the ability to resist the temptation that will definitely come throughout the week. And they ate and were satisfied. If you come to church and you eat the word of God, you will be satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over with leftovers. All right, that's, that's an abundance. They had an abundance and they were satisfied. That word, cortazo, in the Greek, cortazo means this, to be satisfied with, obviously, an abundance. It's also used for this, the fattening of animals. It's, allowed, it's, it's when you feed your animals so much that they're allowed to eat until they are completely satisfied. If you guys have animals and you feed them, well, you do that to a puppy and probably die because he won't know when to stop. But the, your, your, your animal will eat and eat and eat. And, All right, I'm done. And he leaves food behind. He's done. He's satisfied. And there's leftovers. You gave them more than enough. And so this word here is they were satisfied they were allowed to eat until completely satisfied, like a buffet, right? And so here, man, the Lord's compassion, he wants to satisfy us. And he gives enough to satisfy, more than enough. And when you experience that, then you realize how much he provides. John 1.12 says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. That is the ultimate provision from Christ, salvation. He died on the cross so that salvation is available to those who surrender to Christ. That provision is a beautiful provision, and that's where it begins, salvation. And then in John 6.35, it says this. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Never be hungry or thirsty again. With your eyes on Christ, you receive what you need. You will be satisfied. You won't need to go and snack over here or snack over there or drink from that fountain or over there. When your eyes are on Christ, what he provides satisfies. It's sufficient. But the world, remember, the world is zealous for you and it wants to distract you and offer you something else to drink because of how it'll make you feel. It's like being on, a, on, a, on, a, on the right kind of diet to remain healthy and then be swayed by, and I'll be the first to say it, junk food. You know, speaking on this, feeding the 4,000, I'm putting my word study together and I'm enjoying this and I'm trying to imagine it. Christ, compassion, people, food, abundance. 
And then I get COVID and I lose my taste. And I think, wow, okay, Lord, what is that? <laughs> Why? Maybe to say like, to appreciate something, to appreciate food, right? But what happens with me is I can't taste anything but sugar. And that's no good, right? <laughs> so if, if my eyes were off my Carol's good cooking because I can't taste it. And what could I taste? Sugar. And I get distracted. Well, spiritually speaking, man, the Lord provides. But if we get our eyes off it, it's like getting COVID. It's like not enjoying it anymore, not appreciating it, because you're looking over there. And you're, and you're going to be distracted. We need a spiritual, a steady spiritual diet of his word. Cortazzo. Matthew 5, 6 says this. Blessed are those who... Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be cortazzo. They shall be satisfied in abundance. We need to develop that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied in abundance. They were satisfied here in verse 8 and 9. They had leftovers in abundance, leftovers. And then, so they were equipped, they were filled, and they were sent away. When we come to church on Sunday, we need to say, Lord, fill me because this week is this big report or this certain client or things aren't working. No one's accepting my bids, whatever it might be. Lord, fill me so I'm satisfied. Fill me so I'm ready for this week. Satisfied. You know, when the, remember when the disciples said, well, where are we going to get the food, man? It's in the desolate place. They didn't say man to Jesus. But where are we going to get this food? And, and how and what? How are we going to get enough food to satisfy, to cartazzo these people? He didn't say, how, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to give them enough food so that they can eat until they're full, until they're satisfied? I think they knew what they were saying. I think they knew when they used that word. Verse 10. Verse 10. And immediately, Jesus, he got into the boat and his disciples, with his disciples, and went to the district of Dalmanutha. After this feeding, after compassion for all these life situations, all these walks of life, showing them love, using the disciples as volunteers, if you will, to minister to the people, to see this is how you love people. Feeding them to their full and satisfied. And when they were done, after all the leftovers were collected, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanutha. We need to acknowledge this. We need to receive the Lord's, his compassion and understand that as you're sitting here today, it's as if he's saying, I have compassion on the crowd. I love you. I'm jealous for you. The enemy wants your soul. I'm jealous and I want you to have eternal life. Micah 7.19 says this, Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. To throw, it means here in the Hebrew, to, to cast, to hurl, to fling, to get rid of. He will throw them into the depths of the ocean because of this compassion, and rachem, and that means uh, love deeply, to show pity, to show mercy, like a parent's love. There it is, like a parent's love. It's an opportunity here today for a clean slate, for a new beginning, to receive his compassion, his love, the sacrifice on the cross, to surrender to him and be loved like a child by the creator. This word here, this compassion in the Hebrew, it's rooted in a word that speaks of the womb, the compassion from a womb. There's a parental love here. And in Psalm 103, verse 13, it says this, Just as a father has compassion, Rachem, on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those 
who fear him. So today, I'll say this, is now the opportunity to have that relationship with Christ as your Father in heaven. To understand Christ's love, how can we not want to follow the Lord? He's jealous for us. The enemy wants you. He wants to destroy you. And Jesus wants to save you. In Luke 15, 20, it says this, the, uh, the prodigal son. In verse 20 it says, So he got up and came to his father. He returned home. And he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He felt compassion. Splunk needs my. He felt compassion to his bowels, if you will, for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. When he ran and that embrace in the Greek means to fall upon, to rush, to press up and to hold. That is the picture that the Lord has for us. If you've strayed from the Lord, come back. There's his love. His compassion for you is genuine. He's watching you as you're debating in your heart whether or not to come back. He's watching from afar. And the minute you do, he's there. Embracing you. Don't allow another moment to go by without being under the protection, the care, and the salvation of the Lord. Amen? Let's seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for your great love. We thank you, Lord, for that great love, that love you have for this world. Lord, I ask that today, right now, whether they're hearing this or they hear from some preacher, they hear from reading the word, they learn about your love, your desire for them, and their need of a Savior to turn from sin. Lord, I pray that that would take place. I pray, Father, that people would stop dragging their spiritual feet and recognize salvation is for the taking, for the receiving, I should say, because it's being offered. Lord, I pray that in this place today that you would have your way with our hearts. Lord, that none of us would remain in rebellion. No one here would remain in confusion, but would recognize your love and the fact that your son's words, I have compassion for May that everyone put their name right there and understand your love, your compassion as a parent loves a child and they would receive it. Lord, have your way with our hearts today. I pray that you would equip us this week, right now even with the, 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 the fellowship that takes place, that people would be edified so that they're equipped, so that they're ready for battle and they don't have a loose bowstring, but they're ready for battle to resist the devil and to draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to pass out communion right now. And the Lord is, if you just go ahead and stand and we'll have communion passed out.